Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Hey guys, I'm the monorail, headed to the Sorcerer's Hat in the middle of MGM Studios. I hope it's still there. Brian, are you excited? I'm very excited. That's my favorite thing. Uh, speaking about favorite things, uh, Brian, I hate to tell you this, I think they replaced that with a hippo. The what? Hippo. How could they do that? All right, Ryan, could you draw me a hippo so I know what we need to expect here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need a reference. Chris, pop your shirt off. Hey, howdy, hey, welcome to episode 244 of the Diz His Podcast. I'm your host, RJ. I'm Chris. And I'm Ryan. And today, we're going to be giving the His on Fantasia. Before we do get into that His, though, we've got some very special reminders. We record live for our Goof Troop, our Patreon, every week. You can determine how to join that on the link tree located in our episode description. However, this is a special episode. We're starting to roll out one episode live to everybody, even if you're not on the Patreon each month. So that's on YouTube. This episode is that very special episode of this month. So go ahead and follow us on YouTube at DizHisPod. Additionally, you can check us out at DizHisPod over on Instagram as well. Go ahead, like a post, please. I run that. I would love to see your engagement there. It would make my heart very happy. We can always use happy heart. Go ahead and save me from having a heart attack or something. It'd be great. Make my life extend longer. Happy hearts. (laughs) Additionally, on the Patreon, we have monthly giveaways. If you are at the $5 tier or above, go ahead and join that. Only $5 or more for the chance to win something each month. There's going to be a giveaway during the next episode on February 20th. So if you're listening to this after it's been recorded, you don't have much time to join. Go ahead, join pronto. Now, on top of that, Different merch options at tpublic.com. Anyone can buy those. And there's going to be a t-shirt giveaway coming up for the Patreon members. Now, if you don't want to spend up to $5 a month, but you do want to join the Patreon, Ryan, is there any way that they can do that? They can pay under $5. They can. That's right. They can go ahead and pay as low as $2 for the Patreon. You won't be in the giveaways, but you will have access to the live shows and the Discord, all those other perks there. Now, Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about the sending us an email side of things? I can tell you a little bit more about sending the email side of things. If you would like to send an email to any of us, because we all get the emails, reach you out to us at dizhispod at gmail.com. And if that's not enough engagement for you, after all of what uh, RJ and I just said was not enough engagement for you, you can engage with us by giving us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. Spotify is my preferred one because you get to leave comments. We do fun comments and polls. This week, I guess it was last week. Uh, last week, JM Boy nineteen ninety commented on the Germany Pavilion. Said his favorite memory or part of the Germany Pavilion is meeting Snow White. It's pretty cool seeing her there. I like how she has that permanent spot there. Uh, it's a good. It's a good memory to have for sure. Now you know what's not a good memory. What in the mind of Walt Disney, remembering how big of a failure Pinocchio was, the man was struggling at this point in 1940. And that is where we return to in our series on the golden age of Disney animation. We started with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs back in December. In January, we learned about how Pinocchio was very much a failure compared to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But 
Walt Disney had something else cooking, a little movie called Fantasia. What do you guys think about Fantasia? It's a Disney classic. It's one that I think is really become a household name at this point. So what's y'all's opinions? Brian, you f- this is fresh in your mind because you just watched it for the very first time, right? Yes, I watched it Sunday. What'd you think? I liked it. It was a, a little different, but... Uh, yeah, a lot different. Yeah, a lot different. Um, I don't see how today it would hold the kids' at- attention for very long, but I mean, back then probably did. It was definitely one of those movies when I was really, really young that held my attention, like super young. Um, my my mom would put it on me. My sister loved that because of all the different, uh, I mean, some more than others. And I think it was more so Fantasia 2000 that we were watching uh, rather than the original Fantasia, because I do remember some of like the City Blues or whatever it was, uh, shorts. But um, Oh, Rhapsody sure. in Blue. Rhapsody in Blue, yeah. Which mm, is I a love fun the Rhapsody in Blue segment. But I, I, we're, uh, RJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but were all of the original Fantasia ones in Fantasia 2000? Nope. The only one that actually ended up being in Fantasia 2000 was The Sorcerer's Apprentice. All the uh, others Never were mind in. then. I definitely have, because I remember all the other ones. The dinosaur one was scary, which we'll talk about more about the individual ones later. But it, the, the, I loved how uh, you had a bunch of short films, short, you know, musical films, whatever you want to call it, um, in them, because if you didn't like one, well, another one was coming right up and it would keep your attention. I think it'd be, it would do really good with babies because it's like very visually a lot of colors and stuff. I don't Trubog, want maybe a baby not. watching a dinosaur ripping off another dinosaur's neck. Well, they don't know what's going on. That was on. my son's favorite part. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> because there's something for everyone. But anyway, in, sh- in long, um, yeah, loved this movie growing up. Haven't seen it in a very long time altogether. Like I've seen the individual ones here or there, but haven't watched it. It's an entirety in one sitting in, in a long time. Uh, really excited to learn the history behind it. Now, RJ, what do you think about this compilation of films? Yeah, it's Fantasia's one that I remember watching for the first time as a kid. I'm going to show my age here. I got it as a VHS at the library uh, once and watched that. And I wasn't super into it initially when I watched it. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it again years later, probably about high school or so. And I appreciated it a lot more. I really liked the wide variety of pieces of classical music that were chosen, just the wide variety of ways that each of those pieces were animated. So I think I appreciate it a lot more while I'm older. And we talk a lot about animated Disney films that adults appreciate and kids less so. We usually talk about the really dark ones. We talk about the Black Cauldron. We talk about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Fantasia is another one of those Disney movies that I think kids won't really enjoy. Adults get a lot more out of it, but for a completely different reason than Cauldron and Hunchback. Absolutely. Uh Let's also mention 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, really good score. Audience score, a little bit lower, which is usually the case, 83. Still really solid scores. The, the, the general consensus on this movie, and it's over 100,000 ratings uh, for, for the audience. The general wow. consensus is that it is a very well-liked movie. And there's no denying the, uh, the uh, iconic scenes and characters we've gotten from this movie, too, which I can't wait to dive into. Now, for those of you who are listening to this and don't know what Fantasia is, because it has been a fair amount of decades since it released, Fantasia is the third film in the Disney animated canon, and is perhaps the most experimental film ever helmed by Walt Disney himself. The film consists of eight segments, each featuring an animated story set to a different piece of classical music, with brief interstitial segments explaining the history behind each piece. Eight segments, I'm curious. Can you guys name all eight segments without looking at our show notes? See, I already, um, I, I just looked up the segments earlier, 
but without even looking at that one, I, I, I forgot about the dinosaur one until I looked it, uh, looked it back up. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I remembered it instantly. But the ones that I remember the most, even more, I think, than the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which, you know, is my favorite because of Broom, but <laughs> is the uh, the hippos and the and the crocodiles. Mm, uh, yeah, the uh, Dance of the Hours. That one I remember vividly, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Everyone, you can't forget Chernabog. Yeah. Oh, of course. Night on Bald Mountain slash Ave Maria. And the um, the, the uh, one on Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, Zeus. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes, the Pastoral Symphony. Mm-hmm. And you had the the beginning one with the uh, all the fairies and. Yes, the Nutcracker. Yep, Nutcracker one. So you you mentioned the eight. dinosaurs. The dinosaurs being the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky. Yeah. That one's fantastic. The, I might just watch that tonight. Just wild. that one. Just that one. <laughs> it's so good. And on top of those, the other two that, that you missed were Takata and Fugue, which is the very abstract beginning portion. Yes, yes. And then the very odd part in the middle, right after the intermission with Meet the Soundtrack, which I never really understood why that was in there. Truthfully. It's very weird. It is. It comes out of nowhere, and when we get into the history, you're going to see there's really no history on that segment. That's the one of the segments we're really not going to be talking about when we dig into hmm. the history tonight. Do you guys have a favorite? Yes. I like the Chernobog one. Okay. That's my least favorite, I think. Least favorite? Really? Well, scares you? No, well, I think it probably did when I was younger. I think that's why I don't like it as much as the others. If I watched it today, might like it a little more. RJ, what about you? My favorite would probably be... There's so many to choose from. My least favorite is probably Rite of Spring, the dinosaurs. Really? It's, it's, it's not the abstract beginning thing? On. I vibe with Takata and Fugue. Really? And my favorite, Sorcerer's Apprentice is just iconic. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dance of the Hours is spectacular as well. The uh, Sorcerer Sorcerer's Apprentice just it created one of the most iconic characters of all mm-hmm. time, and Sorcerer yep. Mickey. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort the Sorcerer's Apprentice is my favorite, but I think it has to be tied with the um with the hippos. Mm-hmm. Dance of the Hours. Dance of the Hours. So I saw good. a hippo action figure collectible at FYE a couple weeks ago. It was way too expensive, but I was so tempted to buy it just because it was. It's cool that that Fantasia is coming back out. Is there an anniversary coming up or something? No, there wouldn't be because it was not, what nineteen forty. Yeah, nineteen forty. I don't know why then because uh. Yeah, I 70... don't see any no. anniversaries. Um, because Roosevelt's the clothing company just did a whole Fantasia line as well. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, I believe. <laughs> With the exception of Meet the Soundtrack, every other segment of Fantasia is represented somewhere in a Disney park. Yeah, and I think you can also make the case like Fantasia why each golf? one of one would be your fate. What? I thought you were going to say because of Fantasia Mini Golf. Oh, no. I... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I is why the case... in a Fugue is referenced. Uh, besides that one. But then again, not besides that one. I, I, like, I wouldn't disagree with any of these being like the best in, in anyone's opinion. Like They're all so good for their own reasons. Now, there's a lot of history, so we better dig into that. Let's get into the his on Fantasia. Walt Disney was concerned 
Following the unprecedented success of the world's first full-length animated film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Walt had immediately pushed for more animated films from his company. However, his follow-up, Pinocchio, had failed drastically, due in no small part to World War II. Still, Walt felt he had an ace in the hole, an experimental pet project of his called Fantasia. The tale in Fantasia starts years earlier, even before Snow White. Back in 1936, Walt wanted to give the character that made him a household name, Mickey Mouse, a boost in popularity. Ever since the introduction of Donald Duck, Mickey had faded into the background of most Americans' minds in favor of the more entertaining Duck, who undoubtedly had more personality. Walt was looking for a comeback for Mickey, and he turned to a 1797 poem written by the German polymath and writer Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, entitled The Sorcerer's Apprentice. French composer Paul Dukas had written the orchestral piece based on the story in 1897, and Walt wanted to have that piece be the background to an animated version of the tale with Mickey Mouse at its center. The idea was nearly identical to that of Disney's popular Silly Symphony series of short cartoons. With one major exception, instead of the typical slapstick humor audiences were used to, Walt wanted this new short to be more serious work. In mid-1937, Walt obtained the rights to use the music in his new short film, and after meeting Philadelphia Orchestra conductor Leopold Stokowski, Walt knew that he had all the pieces for success. To make matters even better, Stokowski offered to conduct it at no cost to Disney, which was especially unique considering that Stokowski's conducting experience stretched well over two decades at this point. Stokowski even had ideas for the animation styles of the special feature, and Walt insisted on paying him $5,000 for his work. A contract was signed, and at midnight in early 1938, a three-hour recording session with 85 musicians began. However, the cost of this short film was beginning to skyrocket, with an entire orchestra needing to be paid $125,000 in total. Roy Disney, the studio's finance manager, began to feel the pressure of this relatively low-stakes production. First and foremost, let's talk about Leopold Stokowski here. The guy, I didn't put the specific part in the history, he had been the guy in charge of directing the Philadelphia Orchestra since 1912. This was now 1938. The guy was a titan in the industry. And he offered to conduct the short's music score for free for Disney. That's remarkable. Yeah, that that is, um, that's almost, that would be like John Williams today going to somebody and be like, nah, just do it for free. Mm-hmm. $5,000 is a lot of money to just yeah. be like, oh, let's take five grand. I thought that was a lot until I heard that it took $125,000 to pay the, uh, pay all the entire orchestra. That wasn't, uh, I think that was, yeah, yeah, one hundred twenty-five thousand in total for the full order. Oh, full thing. That was after they, uh, yeah. yeah, paid the orchestra. This was still before animation had started. That's which insane. Is insane. So that song uh, that they that we talked about in the beginning that was composed in uh, what eighteen ninety seven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's I I never knew that that was not a Disney song because that's when Me I grew either. up watching it right yeah but mm-hmm. I did think it was weird when I would go to like um uh, Home Goods and around Halloween time some of the because it's a spooky kind of song so when you go there during Halloween some of their snow globes you twist them and it plays the Sorcerer's Apprentice what I call mm. the Sorcerer's Apprentice and I always thought that was so strange now it's cool to know that that's I guess it's in the public domain by now because it's so you know it's the original composer uh composing of it anyway um really cool i didn't i I didn't know it's crazy how far this dates back to 1797 a poem i'd love to read that poem just to Mm -hmm. see what parallels between the poem and the and the film i have read it is it is it pretty similar does mickey mouse in it (laughs) 
Oh, I don't remember. I read it years ago. Is Broom in it? Yeah, please, I am, tell me can't Broom's imagine now, though, like, I'm imagining you, Chris, in a home goods, and you yeah. start walking, and the song just starts playing in the background, and then you stop walking, the music stops, and then you just keep walking, and the music just keeps going on. Like, you are the sorcerer's apprentice, Chris. Well, at, at home goods, I am. Yes. 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 Let's walk out with all the stuff you didn't pay for. Sorry, it's an enchantment. I think it is perfect how the most iconic part of the movie came first. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it's the very end of the film, correct? Nope. nope. It's segment. I want to say, I, if I'm correct, I want to say Staccata and Fugue, Nutcracker, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Rite yes. of Spring, Intermission, uh, Meet the Soundtrack, then I believe it's Pastoral Symphony, Dance of the Hours, and then Ave Maria, and uh, then on Bald Mountain. Mm, I had a the... one in eight wow. chance uh, of getting that <laughs> Am right. Am I right? I, I think know, you're right, right, actually. I feel like I should know this because That's for impressive. the Diz His Patreon about a year ago, we did a Jeopardy game just over a year mm -hmm. ago. And one of the categories yes. I put on that was segments of Fantasia. And so it was all about different segments from Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. So I did like a deep dive into both of the Fantasias for that segment. Yes, I think I did terrible at that part of the game. <laughs> yeah, but you won the whole game. Well, yeah, but still. That was a good idea to do that for Diz That was a lot of fun. You ever <laughs> think about doing one for, uh, for No New Friends? <laughs> I did spend probably four or five hours making that game. You have one. I oh, it's oh. made. Oh, yeah, I'll it's still made. Tell, I'll tell Scott it had, about not that. only has it been made, it's been played by Ryan and Dane and Ray. <laughs> we had to do something <laughs> with it. <laughs> so we got this in 1940. This was the first big appearance of Mickey Mouse in a featured film, correct? Uh, since his, since yes. his like you know, well, yes, yeah, so only debut. this is the first feature film. Yeah, but he only it, had but... like. He, the only other options for him were Snow White and Pinocchio, and Mickey Mouse wasn't going to appear in either of those. Right. So, so, so in between that, there was nothing. Uh, we get him in Sorcerer's Apprentice, 1940. It is now 2024, and Sorcerer Mickey is like he, – he's debatably the most popular version of Mickey Mouse. Yeah, he's my wife's favorite. Yeah. Yes. So he's he's um he's uh what's he in um what's that sh um, Fanta fan uh, phantasmic fan phantasmic yeah phantasmic he's there um his hat was sitting in the middle of uh of the park at one point for, yeah, for a I miss long that, time by the way oh i hated that i hate I that, miss so. that. I, I miss it too i didn't know they took it away then the, the next time i went after cool. they removed it I'm just I was so Chris sad. shows up he's just running to the hat yeah so oh, where's, this no! little, where's this horrible Very gift shop that looks awesome <laughs> It was a pin trading spot. Yeah, it was a horrible little place, but it looked awesome. Yeah, it, it looked, looked great. Awesome. I, I liked it because, I don't know, it was like kind of the, the Disney weenie of that park for us when we start, first started going because it was there when I first went. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and me they too. took it away. Yeah, that, that park desperately needs... It, they, that part can't decide whether Chinese, like Robin's Chinese Theater or Tower of Terror is its main symbol. And yeah, neither it one's in the know. center of the or, I guess Chinese Theater is somewhat in the center of the park, but also it can't really use that for copyright reasons. Let's go. It's too far away. It's to not Star big Wars enough. Now. Yeah. Alas. Bring back the hat. Bring, it's been chopped up. Make a new one. Roy began pushing Walt to cut down costs as much as possible in the short film because of how experimental and uncertain the product was. Roy was concerned that there was no way it would be profitable for the company. The cost was, at this point, three to four times larger than a typical silly symphony, but Walt had a solution to recoup those costs. He started to consider multiple short films made in the same manner as a Sorcerer's Apprentice grouped together in one release. It would be a concert put to film, not bound by traditional running time lengths, 
but instead an artistic endeavor such as had never been seen before. This new feature film, under the working title of The Concert Feature, soon entered development in early 1938. Sikowski was brought in to conduct each of the other segments for a total payday of 80,000 plus royalties. Composer and music critic Deems Taylor was brought on as a live-action narrator to provide commentary, context, and historical tidbits between each of the pieces, similar to his pieces of commentary in between pieces during a radio broadcast of the New York Philharmonic. At this point, Walt Disney headed off the production of the remainder of the film to other workers, as he was responsible for overseeing the production of Pinocchio and Bambi, in addition to developing a new studio in Burbank. Story writers Joe Grant and Dick Humer were responsible for gathering different pieces of classical music and determining stories for them. They worked with Stokowski and Taylor to finalize the selection. Igor Stravinsky's The Firebird was seriously considered before Taylor suggested Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring instead, and upon hearing a recording of The Rite of Spring, Walt stated that it would pair perfectly with a story about prehistoric creatures. Sergei Remenov's Prelude in G Minor and Troika and Modest Mussorgsky's The Song of the Flea were all rejected as well. Finally, in late 1938, 60 Disney artists gathered together for a 150-minute piano concert of each of the selected pieces and commentary on each of them. The final pieces included Bach's Toccata e Fuga in D minor, Pirni, Sidelis e la Chev Pia, Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker Suite, Mussorgsky's Night on the Bald Mountain, Schubert's Ave Maria, Ponchielli's Dance of the Hours, and Debussy's Claire de Lune, in addition to The Rite of the Spring and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Although less involved in the film, Walt was nonetheless enthusiastic about its new route, in stark contrast to his anxiety about Pinocchio. All right, before we even get anything... You might as well have just an avenue, Maria. Before we get into the history, or into discussing the history, I'd like to talk about some of my favorite mispronunciations from Alex. This is why Alex pronounces it, because it's... Because <laughs> <laughs> when I read it, it's just, you know... Dull. Um, my favorite pronunciation was Sergey as Sergi. Um, there was also Fugue as Fugu. Fuga? Fuga? Fuga. Uh, there was Ave as Ave. <laughs> that was my, and favorite. my favorite president, Honest Ave. Honest Ave Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off with the narrator of the film, Deems Taylor. What do you guys think about Deems? Being the narrator, like he did a good job. I mean, yeah, I I have no complaints about. I can't it. complain I, about I, it. Yeah, I, not no nobody that I remember for the rest of my life. Uh, to to this point in my life, but like when I'm watching, I I enjoy it. Not nothing like oh, I wish they wish they didn't call up Deems for this. Oh, I thought Deems was fantastic, dude. I all right, I am a Deems Taylor fan in this. Week. I thought he did a oh, great wow. job narrating. Be the it. only one. <laughs> He did a great job balancing out the information with a little bit of humor. He reminded me a lot of the hosts of Turner Classic Movies, and he did such a good job narrating it, even so much to the point that they couldn't replace him in Fantasia 2000. They have to get a whole bunch of hosts to replace Deems Taylor in that one. On top of that, you have a music critic who clearly already knows what he's talking about, already an expert on the subject, someone that could be involved in the process of making the movie. I think Deems Taylor is... Such a good choice, and I can't imagine anybody else narrating the original Fantasia. All right, we gotta go to a break for a second so RJ can catch his breath and just <laughs> calm down a little bit. Um, if you look at Dean Taylor, great, you can dude. just tell he has an iconic voice. Like you just tell he knows and he knows what he's talking about. Absolutely. Um, he he used to give different commentary. I think I mentioned it in here over radio broadcasts, and so 
he has a perfect voice, as you said, for doing something like this. Hey, Disney's always done well with their casting for uh, for things like this. Now, let's talk a little bit about the working title for this film. Now, I don't know what a Fantasia is, but I think it's more appealing than the concert feature. I would say so. Con yeah. The concert feature is not something that rolls off the tongue. No. Fantasia sounds, sounds magical. Yeah. It sounds boring. Yeah. Concert feature sounds like the, the Nutcracker. I just want to take a little nap. Nutcracker is a good title. The Nutcracker is a horrible, horrible play. Wow. Okay. We'll <laughs> talk about that during Quick Fire Quick Fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't spoil my fun fact about the Nutcracker, but it's kind of wildened to me. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. I just can't believe the Queen of England has a bunch of them guarding her at all times. It's kind of crazy. Well, the King of England now, but. What? I almost made a bad joke. <laughs> we are oh, live on YouTube. YouTube. We can't do that. <laughs> we are live on YouTube. Now, I'd also like to talk a little bit about the 150-minute piano concert with the Disney artists gathered there. They were taught different pieces about the history and the context behind each of the pieces. And as soon as it was done, I believe that they gave a like a full two-minute round of applause for the concert. I don't know. I guess they just really liked the music. But can you imagine? Uh, we, we, we work. We go to work. We have to sit through meetings during the day. Like, oh, what's your 10 o'clock appointment? Oh, I have to go watch a concert. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. That'd be awesome. Not only that, but uh, the whole process of listening to the music and then trying to come up with something uh, visual for it is really fascinating to me. Um, because I don't know, like some of these things are so obscure and I don't know if I, I would do anything else with the music after seeing it. It's like, yeah, I think dancing hippos and tutus would uh, it is perfect for this. Like, I can't imagine anything else. We'll talk a little bit more in History 3 about how they determine the stories for each of the individual segments, but there is some very interesting processes that they went through, and they really focused on the music first, and then they built the stories for many of them off of that, with the exception of Sorcerer's Apprentice, of course, and to an extent Pastoral Symphony. Yeah, I love the emphasis of music. Like when I'm watching this, even though I don't appreciate music like that, it makes me feel like I do. Like I get a false sense of loving uh, orchestra music when I'm watching this. And like, I'll, as soon as it turns off, I will never listen to another piece of uh, you know music like that until I do watch it again. But when I'm watching, it's like maybe I should start listening to this. Like it just really makes you, really makes you be a fan of it. So it makes you a bandwagon fan of it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just imagining Chris goes to the orchestra, just so excited after watching Fantasia. He sits down, the instruments start playing, he starts looking around, he doesn't see Broom there, and then he just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting is uh, this is obviously a theatrical uh, version of orchestra, right? That's It's really all it is. I wonder if, because I don't know if you guys have ever seen, they've been doing it for a long time, but this came out a long time ago. Um, I get every once in a while I'll have they'll they'll have like uh, Harry Potter coming to the Philadelphia Orchestra mm. stuff like I've that. I've seen Pixar as well. Yeah. yeah. So you gotta wonder if they drew inspiration from Fantasia. They think, oh, a, a movie like this can be um, can be successful. I, you know, wonder if we can do a concert with the visuals just like uh, just like Fantasia. I mean, it's really just like Fantasia, listening to music but also enjoying a visual, so you can 
because like from and for me i would never go to an orchestra that's just not my cup of tea but if you show me movie clips and stuff uh it's like reading for me it's like don't don't i'm not gonna read this book unless there's pictures that's why i read comics and not books but like so i wonder if they drew inspiration from this because it's a really interesting way to um to uh entertain somebody without boring them without the um the boring have, part. yeah exactly you have two you have visual you have you have audio it's really hard to be bored when you have both of those oh that's true you got some kind of stimulation for yeah, yeah. you to focus on i do think that we should do a complete renovation of Diz his where we have alex give a bit of a history and then instead of us talking after it it's a piece of classical music themed around the history that alex has just said <laughs> and then chris does interpretive dance Yes, I will do the yeah. visuals for you guys. That's perfect. Of course. It'll work perfectly as yeah, a Patreon podcast. exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that this whole time. To... Who knows? Yeah, Nobody yeah. knows. This is true. I'd also like to talk about Igor Stravinsky's The Firebird. So The Firebird would later be featured, sorry, in another animated Disney film. You know which one? Can you give me a decade? Nope. Oh, well, no. <laughs> um... The Firebird. I'm going to say 101 Dalmatians. No, it was in Fantasia 2000. I thought it was a really easy one. That's why I didn't give you the decade. So they were like, that yeah. in the 90s, so. It did. This is true. But they said, all right, we don't love this piece for this movie that we're making. But they had some ideas behind a Firebird, and they ended up using it in that film instead, which I think is pretty cool. And they used a different Stravinsky piece, and arguably the most famous Stravinsky piece ever in the original Fantasia. I don't know if you guys are big Stravinsky fans or not, but... Um, oh, yeah, to, yeah, all the time. Actually, just... Yeah, right of three is, yeah. without he's a doubt... On my top of my Spotify right now. Oh, of course. I can tell you're a big Stravinsky head. <laughs> is that what they call I, Stravinsky fans? I, I guess, yeah. I can barely say the name. <laughs> Looks like he's seen some things. You look up his picture, he's seen some things. Stravinsky? Oh, yeah. Look at his Wikipedia. I want to take a look at Igor now. He looks very unhappy. Yeah, that's how intrigued he is, like, by his music. And also, he's so mad that someone asked to take a picture of him while he was studying his sheet music. He never should have shaved off his mustache. Oh, well, he looks so shocked. He just looks like, why am I here? Well, he's Russian. They never look happy. He doesn't look happy. Oh, my God. He his died face is... in 1971. Wow. wow. He lived a long time. 1882. Yeah, he died at the age of 88. Wow. His face is too big for his head. He yeah, looks like um, a big face. What's his name? Gomez from Adam's family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you if you just tell me to envision a Russian man, it's it's this guy. This is this is the guy that I envision every single time. He looks a little bit like Vasily Kandinsky to me, you know? He looks like the Russian Walt Disney. He, he looks like Walt Disney if he was born in Russia. I can see it. Could you I imagine? Just, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Russian Walt Disney. They didn't really care for free expression, so. No, Russian Walt Disney was when he was trying to open Disneyland on opening day. <laughs> That'd be really funny if you guys oh knew the God. history of when Disneyland opened. I do, and that was Because funny. he had to speed everything up. Yeah. He was Russian. He was rushing. My favorite, my favorite fact about... Uh, about that day was that people were getting their feet stuck in the yeah, ass. The high heels were going through the asphalt. They're flying helicopters over it, trying to dry everything off. Oh, Tomorrowland had one ride, and it was the cars. <laughs> we need a full episode on the history of Disneyland, like the opening and like development of Disneyland. That'd be fun. Oh, that's easy, yeah. 
it'd be fun. That'd be, that'd be a good for a big number episode. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. All of us. Yeah. As development on the story elements of the film commenced, issues arose for some of the segments. The initial Bayou scene for Claire de Lune ended up not being used, as this segment was considered not intriguing enough for the picture. Those pieces of animation would later be used for the Blue Bayou segment of Make Mine Music. Similar problems were encountering for Sid Elise, as a story team struggled to fit a coherent story to the piece. It too would be cut from the final version, but its initial portion titled The Entry of the Little Fawns gave Walt and the writers the idea to choose a different piece of music with a stronger basis in mythology. Sections of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony were chosen, and a segment based around a multitude of characters from Roman mythology was written around it. Although Sokowski disagreed with the change, feeling that mythology should not be the focus of the film, Taylor applauded the alteration. The team continued to develop stories for each of the segments, with dancing flowers, plants, and fairies for the Nutcracker Suite, a series of animals for each time of day dancing in the Dance of the Hours, and the rise and fall of evil demon Shinnabog in a night on Bald Mountain. Meanwhile, publicist Hal Horn was fighting back on the film's title, and a contest was held at Walt Disney Studios for replacement, in which Fantasia won. The team felt it perfectly represented the idea of picturing the music that was being played. Walt hoped that this fantastic, imaginative title and concept would bring classical music to people like him that would otherwise walk out on that kind of stuff. Throughout this process, animators were hard to work on individual segments. They first determined a color scheme for each piece of music, before each storyline had even been finalized. Then clay models were built of the characters that were to be animated to allow for different angled views of each of them. The multi-plan camera that had previously been perfected by the company was used once again for this feature. Each segment had its own unique elements in the animation process. Tukata e Fuga in D minor, animators created an abstractly animated segment with different colors and shapes, but German artist Oskar Fischinger, who was hired for his previous experience in his type of animation, hated working in a group and felt his designs were too abstract, leading him to leave the studio in anger. The Nutcracker Suite, films of the three studios were used as a reference for animating the dancing mushrooms in the Chinese dance portion, while an Arabian dancer was brought in to base the animated goldfish off of. Stop motion animation was utilized to animate the snowflake fairies, which was otherwise very difficult to draw by hand. Physical copies of the drawings were placed on revolving spools and then photographed for this process. The Sorcerer's Apprentice A UCLA athlete was hired to run and jump through a soundstage with barrels in his way. As a reference for the scene in which Mickey dashes through the overflowing water, Mickey was animated with pupils for the first time to give him a wider range of expression than he previously had. Right of Spring a series of scientists ranging from biologists, paleontologists, to astronomers and museum directors were consulted on the actual prehistoric event experienced by the dinosaurs. Animators observed comets at an observatory and used baby iguanas and alligators as references. The Pastoral Symphony The female centaurs were originally drawn bare-breasted. This was required to be changed by a restrictive motion picture code, which oversaw film censorship. Male centaurs were originally considered too intimidating for audiences and had to be redesigned. Dance of the Hours this segment was designed to be more comedic than the other segments, with animal characters performing a serious ballet with humorous slips throughout. Animator John Hinch was put in charge of the segment, but after resisting due to his lack of ballet knowledge, Walt gave him season tickets to the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. Night on Bald Mountain and Ave Maria Actor Bella Lugosi, who famously portrayed Dracula in the film of the same name, was brought into the studio to give reference poses for evil demon Chernabog, but when the animator were unhappy with the results, they convinced the segment's director to pose shirtless instead. The Ave Maria half was designed as relief from the night on the Bald Mountain, and was planned to have little animated movement to contrast the wild movements of Chernobog and his minions in the first portion. All right. Wow. A lot of history there. Brain explosion let's, there. Yeah. Brain let's explosion. go ahead and just run down the history as we've got it here, starting with 
the different pieces of music that were cut. Claire de Lune ended up being cut, and it was the Blue Bayou segment of Make My Music, which I'll talk briefly about here because I actually watched Make My Music last night. Did you? Why? Now, Why? <laughs> that is an excellent question. So this will be a little bit of what did I do this week in Disney. Just on their TV or something? <laughs> I was actually kidnapped by Dane from Big Beautiful Diz because we are working on the third of our episodes of the package film series that we're working on. So we watched Make My Music last night. And I actually wrote the history of Make My Music while writing the history of Fantasia. So that was a really interesting comparison between the two. And is I Fantasia, can attest, I'm sorry, real quick. Is Fantasia going to be part of that package film thing? It is not because we're focusing on the wartime era package film, starting with Saludos Amigos and ending with the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Was this not a wartime film? No, because it was made uh, in the like 1938, 1939. So it technically it was released during World War II. Mm -hmm. The production did not occur when the United States was in World War II. Oh, okay, okay, greatly impacted Walt Disney Studios. I see, gotcha. But I can attest the Blue Bayou segment. Really glad that they cut Clara de Lune from Fantasia. That was awful. That was really not that bad. Make my music. I always remembered enjoying that in the past, and I think the only reason I remember enjoying it is because it has four good segments: Casey at the Bat, Peter and the Wolf, Whale who wanted to sing at the Met, and Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet. Everything else is hot garbage in that movie. Really? So, wow. Good decision for them to cut Claire de Lune, I would say, as well as arguably Sidalise. I don't know much about Sidalise, but clearly it wasn't working. So, hmm. a good thing that they cut that. Interesting. That's uh, so. When we're talking about mythology here, we're talking mostly about the. Uh, I mean, I guess we're talking about a couple of them, um, not Chernobog really, but more no. so the Greek gods, right? Yeah, mostly the Roman gods, because we're specifically told by my main man, my buddy, my pal Deems Taylor, that uh, we're looking at Bacchus and Jupiter, which are the Roman names, and I think they reference Vulcan as well. There's all close, the Roman names of the gods. Close enough. And um, they're referred to as fauns instead of uh, satyrs. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the depiction of these, and it's really fun. I love the uh, the the um, Pegasus is in it, isn't it? Yeah, yes. there's a couple in it. Yeah, so that's that's Roman. I mean, it was from originally Greek mythology because I missed the rewriting months ago. Here. It was Bellerophon who Pegasus was a buddy of. So we're just getting Roman washed uh, mythology, essentially. And if you want to know more about that. You can listen to the last episode of Remy's Roundtable, which I was on, and we talked about Spaceship Earth and Greek and Roman gods. There we go. There we go. I, I do have a question. Why, why was Zeus uh, such a jerk? It wasn't Zeus, actually. It was Jupiter. Well, who is Zeus? He's throwing lightning bolts. I'm, I'm also Zeus. a jerk. So. Well, <laughs> <laughs> because he's too smart. That's why. He just randomly starts throwing lightning bolts at people for no reason. Then he goes to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, uh, that's, that fits with Greek and Roman mythology. I didn't go outside for three months after I saw that. How do you think Percy Jackson would feel about this? I mean, he's a jerk in that, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, Fantasia, the name, one. Do you guys know what Fantasia means? I didn't. I just looked it up. Educate. If you read a word, if you memorize this word for word, RJ, I will give you $5. You definitely haven't memorized it, but I believe if I were to guess, I could be totally off here. Isn't it a wild array of like light and color of some sort? So it's actually a Disney movie that was released in 1940 <laughs> featuring eight. <laughs> Fantasia is a musical composition with a free form and often an improvisatory style. 
a musical composition based on several familiar tunes, a thing composed of a mixture of different forms or styles. Uh, use it in a sentence. The theater is kind of Moorish and Egyptian fantasia. So like a cluster of stuff. So that's kind of cool. That's exactly what this movie is. Just a cluster of different things. Um, I understand why they call it a fantasia now. I didn't know it was an actual word. Disney likes to make up words. I thought it was a made up word. There's also was a too. singer named Fantasia, as that, I recall. I, how many that times do you my history? area? Is she really? Yeah. Wow. She's from North Carolina. You get her on the show? Why isn't she on the show? I'll, I'll ask. Yeah. <laughs> Ask around. I'm sure she still has family there. She's probably uh, never mind. <laughs> so, uh, RJ, you did the history for this, right? I did do the history for this. How many times did you Google things uh, and she came up instead of the movie? Um, she didn't at all. Uh, she's she's every single time anymore. I Google Fantasia 1940. Uh, I kept Googling I Fantasia, Fantasia 2000 to pop up. And I kept having to type in Disney's Fantasia. I know a lot about the singer now, though. I'd also like to mention Disney agreed with you guys because he also said that he would initially walk out of this kind of stuff. He said that word for word. Yeah. So he also was not a fan yeah, of classical music, ironically. <laughs> He's like, this sucks. You got to add some pictures for me. <laughs> we talked a little bit about the multi-pane uh, camera that they used. And there's this video that floats around the internet. It's been around for a while, and the it zoom. shows you what yeah. the multi-pan, yeah, what it looked like. And you see the zoom every time I come across that, which I just did the other night. I have to watch it like three times. It is like the most beautiful animation you will ever see, and it's just so cool that they came up with that. Yeah, they do that in the Reluctant Dragon. I love seeing I think that they in go films. through that as well. Yeah, really, really cool. Okay, so. Now we get a little bit of the backstories behind all of these uh, um, segments, if you will. All right. We're going to start with Takata and Fuga. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on this, RJ? So really funny story about how Oscar hates working in a group. Kind of a grouch. I don't know if Oscar <laughs> lives in a trash can or not, but kind of a grouch. He hates working in a group. He felt his designs were too abstract for the audiences. He got upset, and he left the studio in anger. This is the second week in a row. There's been somebody who got extremely upset in a history. Last week was uh, Joss Whedon, I believe. Oh, right, right, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, interesting. Um, not, not. I mean, just like the just like the segment, the history behind this isn't very interesting. But well, yeah, I think that's wildly. I think that's more interesting than the history behind the Rite of Spring. Well, I'm I'm more I'm more uh, focused on the next one because I had no idea. I'm talking about the Nutcracker Suite here. I had no idea the Three Stooges came out in yeah. 1923. They're old, man. Yeah, yeah. I, they they're still alive today. They're, they just made a movie like a couple years I ago. I don't think that's right. You're you're joking, right? They look exactly alike. One of them's from Philly, actually. There's a um, did you do the tour when you were in Philly, RJ? Did you see the mural of him? I did not. No. Okay, yeah, there's a mural of where he was, uh, where he grew up hmm. on his uh, on the apartment building. It's pretty cool. Oh, wow. I'll put a picture of that in the chat. Yeah, I like the Three Stooges. I've always been more of a Marx Brothers guy, but and Laurel and Hardy. But I need to watch more of Three Stooges. You're a Marx Brothers guy. I am very much a Marx Brothers fan. Would you consider yourself a Marxist? <laughs> Marxist. <laughs> your that's your science is definite, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so I love that they have references for animation. I think that is so cool. I 
you don't think that like you just think that they just think of it in their head and they just draw it it's really really interesting that and they're very specific references too mm-hmm. uh, especially as we move on to the next uh to the next yeah well actually i saw a lot of the clay models from fantasia when i saw the disney exhibition at the franklin institute oh really that was really cool so they had some of the original clay models oh, they wow. used for fantasia before we do get to the history as well i want to talk about the stop motion that they used because sure. they couldn't get the snowflakes uh, the fairy snowflakes part in the winter scene to look good because the snowflakes were so difficult for them to animate. And obviously they'd fixed the problem by the time they got to Peter Pan, but if they found it so difficult, they drew each piece, they cut them out, they put it on a post, they would turn the post and take photos, and then they ended up putting those together. It's crazy. Oh, wow. so wildly innovative to me. I, I thought that was such a cool thing because, and going, I'd like to go back and watch that scene, especially see if I can tell how different it feels. Are right, you want to talk about the Ookla athlete? Uh, pretty Ookla cool. Athlete. Um, would never think watching Mickey uh, run that they use a UCLA athlete to uh, replicate his running movements. I would have thought they used just like a, a rat that walks on two legs. It doesn't really look like an athlete. It looks like a clumsy, clumsy mouse. You know, they say it's a UCLA athlete. I bet it's actually Deems Taylor, the Renaissance <laughs> man of his age. He could do whatever he wanted. He had so much freedom. It, he knew it was fun to be free. He was a legend in his own right. They uh, they have to say UCLA athlete because his his athletic career stopped after college because he obviously was not that athletic. If he's, um, but did you see the motions? He, he was not very athletic. <laughs> <laughs> Again, really interesting that they go to those lengths. Uh, he was hired to run and jump through a soundscape with barrels. Like that's insane. We think they just did that for fun sometimes. Like you he, think they just brought up someone like we're so gonna he's use just your playing real life Donkey Kong. Just made him run through barrels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might have a case to sue Nintendo. That's actually a good point. Um, I just think that's so funny that uh, again, like you said, RJ, that that's somebody's job is to watch some watch a a teenager run through barrels on a soundstage. Wild. I wonder if they made him hold buckets of water. Do you think they had broom there? <laughs> Broom, broom De- was Deems the master Taylor played broom. Deems I, Taylor was broom. Do we know that? Do we know that Deems Taylor isn't broom? Just inside is a shell that looks like Deems Taylor. Ooh, I don't like that idea. <laughs> Makes you think. Uh, right of Spring. You can really tell that they use iguanas and alligators. Yeah, a lot, lot of lizardry. Lizards. Yeah, a lot of lizardry in that. A little too much lizardry, if you ask me. Lizardry is now a word. That sounds like a real word. Well, we're talking about Rite of Spring as well. Do you know where you can find, or in Walt Disney World and Disneyland, at some point throughout both of them, there's a very famous scene from Rite of Spring that you can, at some point in the park's history, be able to see. Do you know what attractions? Countdown to Extinction? No, it's got to be Ellen's Energy Adventure. Yes, Universe of Energy slash Ellen's Energy Adventure. They recreated the scene where the Stegosaurus was fighting the Tyrannosaurus Rex in that ride. And if you go on the train in Disneyland, when you go through the panorama in the Frontierland area, you go through different time periods. One of them is, I forget, maybe it's the Tomorrowland area. It might be oh, Tomorrowland. I don't just remember if I haven't that. been there. But you can see the dinosaurs fighting each other from that same scene there, from Rite of Spring and Fantasia. Does any of them die? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. They all die at the end because the asteroid hits. That is true. So it doesn't really matter. The fight's kind of useless. He just, about yeah, it. He he just checked out early. violence. I would argue that this is a parallel for our lives today. 
we have these individual conflicts inside ourselves and with other people, but how does it matter in the end? We all live, we all die. Let's try to look beyond ourselves, beyond who we are, beyond our wow. conflicts, and look at the larger picture at the world. The right of spring changed my life, and it can change yours for a small price of $5 to join the Diz His Goof Troop. Join us today. That's beautiful, RJ. And I think the even bigger picture, stepping backward from that, is like, like just don't stab people with horns, right? Don't do you, bite people. Do that often? I mean, he's from New Jersey. I, I, no, because I watched right. I got. I watched Rite of Spring, so now I. I you know all all those intrusive thoughts of I feel guilt, so no, I don't do it anymore. I don't think of doing it anymore. All right, let's move on to the Pastoral Symphony. I love the Pastoral Symphony. Additionally, I'd like to mention as well. I don't understand why this one was never represented on the Sorcerer of the Magic Kingdom cards, but the Sugar Plum Fairies from the Nutcracker Suite and Yen Sid were both represented on Sorcerer of the Magic ah, Kingdom cards. Yes. And Chernabog was the final villain that Hades pulls up before you had to defeat Hades in Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, it's it like you like we were talking about. It's um, it's uh, a lot of the, a lot of different characters and scenes are so iconic. Um, let's talk some pastoral symphony. Though. Yeah, let's talk some pastoral symphony. So I have to figure out what scene this was. Yeah, the centaur scene. There's very racist depictions in this in this scene. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I caught that too. We'll, we'll address that in the quick fire, quick facts. Yeah, so I just... Unfortunately, I, this is the beginning of a lot of the racial insensitivities. I wouldn't say beginning, but beginning for the full-length animated films because we really didn't see anything like that in Snow White and no. Pinocchio. We'll see that in Fantasia. We'll see that again in Dumbo. And then I'm sure you guys will go through the Silver Age after that. You'll see it, of course, again in Peter Pan. And it's it, the, even though you keep watching like, those movies again and again, it doesn't make those scenes any easier to watch. No, and when you're small, it's like um, when you're when you're, I'm still small. When you're younger, <laughs> when you're young, it's like you don't you don't really realize that. But you know, growing up, it's like oh my gosh. I, but like reading this history, it's like even more like kind of gross because it's like. The female centaur, centaurs were originally drawn bare-breasted, but this was required to be changed after restrictive motion picture code. So these yeah, people, the are, code, pe thank pe God. people, people here at the motion picture code are watching this film. Like, ah, keep the racism, but take out those, take out the naked women, take out the naked women. It's mm -hmm. kind of crazy that, like, they, yeah. that, like, that was tolerated. That was okay back then. Just, just wild. What we, what a world that. I mean, I don't back. think either was a good choice at all. No, but I'm saying the people who determined it, like, they're like, no, this is okay, and this isn't. Like, it's like they watched that whole scene, and the only thing that wasn't okay was that the rest was, the rest was fine. Just, it, it's just yeah. crazy how far we've come as a society to, like, no one would even fathom um, putting that in any way. No, it took us eight you know? years. Yeah. As, as we're talking about that, too. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also important to address that it is Black History Month, and so it's a shame that Disney didn't have more representation at the studio while working on this film. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. That was a really good just tribute to Black History Month as well, RJ. Now let's get into the dance of the hour, shall we? John Hench. I, I love this guy. I've never met John. I don't know John, but like if John wrote me up one day and was like, yo, I'd like to, you know, let's, let's grab lunch together. I would grab lunch with John because I'd love to hear his story from himself about how he hated ballet. He knew nothing about ballet. He didn't want to direct this one at all. He, For all we know, he came up with this as an excuse. He's like, man, I don't want to be in charge of the dancing hippos and the dancing ostriches. I'm just going to say I don't know ballet. And Walt's like, you don't know ballet? Here's a season pass to the ballet. So funny to me. <laughs> ballet kind of sucks. I'm kind of team edge. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't sound like something Walt would like if he didn't like, you know, 
the music, the uh, orchestra, orchestral, whatever you want to say that, the orchestra music. Orchestral? It was I uh, with ballet. I, I've seen you in a ballet before, and I thought it was well done. I could, you, you look like you could dance in a ballet. You have the figure. What? You, like, you don't have an ounce of fat on you. It's like you look, you look like you could be a ballet dancer. That's a weird compliment. <laughs> That's a very, I've never heard that before. I don't know that I'll ever hear that again. I could just see you be like, I have to go to ballet practice, and I wouldn't even question it. They don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to, um, let's, see, let's move on to Night on Bald Mountain and Ave Maria, starting with Bella Lugosi. Dracula was the first ever film in the Universal Monsters series, and it really kicked off that whole series because it came out in 1931, and after that we get Frankenstein, we get Wolfman, we get the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and so Bela Lugosi, so important to the history of horror films, and yet they didn't go with his references, which is wild to me. Well, to Walt Disney, this whole movie was a horror film. He hated orchestra music. Yes, but he he loved how experimental it was, and he thought that this was going to be a huge success, as we'll talk about a little bit more in history for I love how they just yeah. asked the segments directly. Yeah, I'm gonna just shirtless. take a shirt off for draw you. Dude must have been ripped. Yeah, by I, the way. That... <laughs> I... <laughs> like I feel like there's a lot of like inside practical jokes here. Like the the the, the athlete running through barrels, I feel like was so funny to watch. They the, should have uh... played background like some background uh, sound effects when he was doing that. <laughs> like honk when he like hits a barrel or something. <laughs> The um, Walt giving the guy ballet tickets, like giving someone a fruitcake uh, during Christmas. It's like you just find the worst possible gift to give someone. Um, and now this and now this. It's like, um, let's let's get the director to take his shirt off and just can you imagine. Can you imagine like, uh, I know this is a, a huge stretch, but um, like Quentin Tarantino. Just like, yeah, take your shirt off, bro. Let's uh, let's let's use you as a model for. I thought you were going to say in the middle of an episode of Diz, his Alex takes his shirt <laughs> off. To inspire a conversation. Uh, yeah, I just think that's so funny, especially because Chernobog is like this like devil like character. So it's like they're like, did they actually hate their director? <laughs> is Chernobog the most powerful and slash or the most powerful terrifying. Disney villain? Um, besides, yeah, yeah, besides I like mean, Mufasa. I mean, the Hunchback of back of Notre Dame, the guy who killed like oh, thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah. There's no scary. redeeming qualities for him. Yeah, I mean, that's a little scary. Yeah, a little scary. But yeah, I'd say Chernobog's up there. Mufasa's up Ryan. there. You're a joke. You're, you're a joke. Arguably, though, Chernobog has the biggest weakness, light. And he no. only exists like one day a year. You need a flashlight. And back then, there's no flashlight. So it's like, you just bring a flashlight, he's dead. Whip out your <laughs> iPhone, turn on the flashlight, boom, he's done. Not very intimidating anymore, actually. He's probably right. one of the least intimidating if you think about it. In 2024, it takes a long time to make a fire back then. But I mean, come on, today, pull out a bic lighter and he's dead. Come on, not very intimidating. Imagining everyone who gets out their bic lighter and starts like yeah. doing the concert thing, <laughs> waving it back and forth to the to the orchestra music. To, yeah, to Ave Maria, <laughs> to and Ave then Maria. he starts retreating. <laughs> a new audio technique was commissioned by Walt and Roy for this film to make it sound as though an orchestra was present in the theater with audiences. This new technique, called Fantasound, 
cost the company $200,000 or $4.2 million in today's dollars. This audio technique required two separate projectors and three separately controlled speakers around the theater. The audio innovations composed one-fifth of the film's $2.28 million budget. Unfortunately for Walt and his crew, RKO disliked the idea of widely distributing this experimental film. As such, Fantasia became a touring roadshow, with special instructions given to theaters and pamphlets provided to each audience member. The first roadshow was the film's opening on Broadway in New York City in November of 1940, and the show toured around the country until April of 1941. Much as with the Pinocchio, the film could not be easily released overseas due to World War II, an issue that was exasperated by the restrictive release model. Furthermore, each roadshow made only about $325,000, meaning that Fantasia became a massive financial loss for the company, even worse than Pinocchio. Parents walked out of the showing of the film, as many scenes frightened their children and critics were extremely harsh, with the classical music community's ire far outweighing the praise given by some critics to the animation and the production. Walt had originally intended that Fantasia would be re-released every few years or so, with different segments being added in and changed out with each new release, but this massive commercial failure of Walt's dream dashed those ideas. The film will be re-released in its original form multiple times over the years, and a sequel, Fantasia 2000, was released in 1999. This sequel was many decades away, and after two massive failures in 1940, Walt Disney knew that he had to turn around his prospects soon, or his company could soon go bankrupt. Although Bambi was in production, Walt was unsure how it would fare. Another, smaller production about a flying elephant would soon complete production as well, but few could predict how much a cheap film would help to alleviate the failures brought on by Pinocchio and Fantasia. I do want to bring up uh, quickly that um, the like, they have all these failures and like, oh, we, we got Bambi coming up. And like, can you just imagine be like, all right, so what, what's Bambi? Like, well, it starts off the main character's mother gets murdered in cold blood. <laughs> <laughs> Bambi was also a massive failure. You guys will get to that one in April, but Bambi, ooh, that one, that was bad for the companies. You know what's funny too is that this was a massive failure, Fantasia, and so for the year two thousand, like what, what, what should we release for the year two thousand? Like you know that movie that failed miserably? Yeah, let's do another one. Let's 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 do another one. At that point, though, it became so ingrained in popular culture that it had a completely different context. And I'm sure you guys will do Fantasia two thousand at some point because. That has a really fun history in and of itself. So when you guys get to the post-Renaissance, Fantasia 2000 is going to be a good one. I would love to know what was going through their heads. Fantasound. Let's talk about Fantasound for a moment. It sounds like you take some orange soda and you listen to what it Fanta. sounds like. Fantasound. Be fun what it to sounds sound. like to me. Be, be Fantasound. What is Fantasound? Fantasound. It's, uh, it's basically surround sound. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like... But it required theaters to change yeah. how they showed Yeah, I wonder why that was a failure. Which meant that it became very expensive. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I don't know why Walt thought this was going to be this huge thing that became a massive success when very few theaters could easily show it. Well, it's kind of like the approach with, um, like, look at Apple just put out that VR headset for $3,500, right? Very expensive and shouldn't it shouldn't have uh, been a success. And maybe it won't be. But... The technology that they built and the technology they're they're able to offer to consumers, even at that big of a price point, is revolutionary. Walt Disney does the same thing with this, with, you know, this is not for everybody, but if you can experience it, if you have the opportunity to, it's going to be revolutionary. It's kind of like that. So it's almost like paving the way to the future, which is which is kind of cool. Um, he's putting all it's, it's a very expensive film, and now 
to watch it, you have to watch it with this special Fanta sound. It's uh, it's almost like he knew it was going to fail, but it was long term that he wanted to set up for not just him, but other creators, too. Because now, like if you go to the movies and it's not surround sound, That's like boring. it's like, yeah, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> like people will buy that stuff for their houses now because it's it's so impressive. I don't know if I need an orchestra. I would like to give a sound. shout out to Galactic Star Cruiser as well. Same thing. Yeah, same thing. You see, uh, it, it massive failure, but who knows what's going to come in the next 10, 20 years from that, you know? I'm uh, going to learn from their mistakes and make immersiveness, uh, you know, immersive hotels, maybe. Uh, we'd be able yeah, to start making they made it affordable. affordable. It might actually be successful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it made it a traveling roadshow. This was like a circus. Like, it's like touring which uh, made it seem important, I guess, but at the same time, uh, that didn't happen with movies. I can't imagine a little kid looking at the newspaper. I can't see that. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't hear it, but I assume like you that. said the kid was Fantasia's coming to town. Yeah, no, no. first of all, no kids reading the newspaper. And They're no adult is reading the newspaper and seeing... Seeing Fantasia with a little mouse with a hat on it. Wait, do you guys newspaper. not read newspapers anymore? Like, <laughs> I love the newspaper. Look at the comics. You do the Daily Crossword. I, I do. I, I do do the. I do do the Daily Crossword on New York Times on my it's phone now. Not. On my phone now. Oh. I do it about once every three months, so it's not really the daily, but every like <laughs> it's like the quarterly crossword for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, super odd. Super odd that they did this. Um. But, you know, you have to do what you have to do to fail a little bit less. Yeah, but they failed so much so that this is one of the only Disney films that parents walked out of with their kids. I'd imagine Black Cauldron yeah. fits that description as well. Probably Hunchback, like we talked about in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And maybe to an extent, this one also fits the criteria of being too scary for kids. Especially Chernabog. It's a it's a very scary uh, parts of it. Um, the Chernobyl was at the end, so I could just turn it off. But That's yeah, I can't true. imagine. I can't imagine go to a movie theater and see this because you're like, oh, Disney, Disney movie. And you're used to all this happiness and stuff. And it's like, like spirits coming out. Even right of spring. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, right of spring and Night on Bald Mountain are both terrifying. It's like, where's this, where's this German lady singing in a well? Why are we getting this demon? It looks like the director of that movie that we just saw last week sitting on top of a mountain. Hey, at least they had Deems Taylor to comfort them. Not the most comforting voice, actually. Whoa. Very whoa, stern, whoa. very serious. Almost sounds like you're at a lecture, right? I don't feel that way. Deems Taylor You is love like, lectures. Don't lie. You probably love lectures. I do enjoy going to a <laughs> lecture hall. Critics were extremely harsh about uh, about this movie. I don't know why, because now if you look at critics, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think maybe people were like, didn't it was so different and so unique that they're like, ah, I'm not going to get behind this. Well, the trouble was everyone was saying, oh, this animation's gorgeous. It's great. It's spectacular. Same type of thing we saw for Pinocchio and Snow White. They love the animation. But you had a lot of people in the classical music community reviewing this as well. And they did not like what Walt Disney was doing to classical music. Like putting like hippos <laughs> and stuff in it? Essentially. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how would you feel, Chris, if I took something that you loved and put a hippo in okay. it? Like, like what if what if I took your business and I put a hippo in the middle of your business? How would you feel? 
you know what that you have a really good point there you have a really good point make business very hard to operate exactly yeah exactly ryan what if i took one of your cars and put a hippo in it how would you feel it matters which car oh okay yeah some of them i don't care about as much as others <laughs> What do you think Alex would feel if point. I took his beard and put a hippo on it? Oh, we're not to ask him next week. Write that down. Jot that down. Well, better yet, we should. That should be the question on Spotify this week. How would you feel if somebody put a hippo, a hippo in, in your favorite aspect of your life? most prized possession? Yes, exactly. What you covet, the thing you covet the most. That's what, how I word it. It would be really dramatic. That's yeah. good. But if somebody That's put good. a hippo in the thing that you covet the most. You know what, though, if if so, if you put a hippo in the thing you cover the most, what if the thing you cover the most is the hippo exhibit at the zoo and you just get one added hippo? Ah. Chris, why do you love the hippo exhibit at the zoo so much? I'm just saying. You get a bonus hippo? Come on. Bonus hippo. I think, do you guys think Deems Taylor captured a hippo for them to use in this movie? Yeah, they did it for reference for the... Uh, he, they actually made him put Probably the, uh, just made him take a shirt Actually, okay, this one's really bad. The reference for the hippo, I read this one. I didn't feel comfortable putting it in the history, but it's, it's appropriate enough for YouTube. They hired an overweight ballet dancer who was like Ooh. 300 pounds, and they used her as reference. That's brilliant. That is, is brilliant. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, that, that's a really good uh, segment. I did I was like, how'd they get a hippo to be out? Like, how do they envision a hippo? Do I really, I like, need a reference, though? <laughs> Can they just be like, hey, draw a hippo? <laughs> I mean, they got a reference for Yen Sid. They had a silent movie actor play Yen Sid. They nailed so, it. I'll tell you what, maybe this was another practical joke. Maybe. Like, hey, Frank, can you get your mother-in-law to come in here and dance, <laughs> dance for us? <laughs> oh, boy. Quick fire, quick facts. Let's go. Dopey was originally considered for The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Igor Travinsky's The Firebird would later be adapted for Fantasia 2000. Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker was a relatively unknown ballet in the United States when Fantasia was released, despite its iconic music. The story would only become a Christmas staple, starting with the New York City Ballet's 1954 performance. Toccata and Fugue in D minor was originally intended to be three-dimensional. Yen Sid, the apprentice's name in A Sorcerer's Apprentice, is Disney backwards. Or Fantasia is played on Disney Plus, there is a content warning, but the content isn't included in the film. After the civil rights movement in 1969, a scene with a black centaurette shining the hooves of a white centaurette was removed. There were multiple scenes edited to remove two black centaurettes in the film who were given donkey bodies instead of horses. Just to touch on that wow. real quick, I would encourage you to look that up online if you're interested to see it. It's very, very offensive. I'm glad that they, uh, that they fought to take that out. A minor earthquake hit California as a reshoot for the Ave Maria segment was occurring, resulting in jittered footage. The team had to restart and finish the segment one day before the film's New York premiere, meaning that they had to rush the final version in New York on a charter plane with only four hours to spare. Mm. There are so many stories surrounding the history of this film. It's insane to me how much was going on behind the productions of each of the segments. It's very cool. Well, guys, are you ready for this segment of In the Parks? Yes. Yeah. Well, I got a message actually from Giles Garman this week. He was very upset that you skipped his segment last week, so he is on protest this week. Oh, so. uh, I man, Alex isn't here. I wanted to hear it. Well, oh, well. 
I do have a couple of major places where Fantasia is represented. He sent me a list, but Let's hear it. He, he was pretty upset, so he's going to return next week. Good old guy. Fantasmic is a big one, of course, right? You've got Sorcerer Mickey being quite yep. important there. The Fantasia Gift Shop, which is located in both the Contemporary and the Disneyland Hotel. Fantasia Gardens is a big one. And, of course, all of the different references to Sorcerer Mickey and Chernabog and the sure. Dance of the Hours. Even if you watch the Walt Disney World like news channel or whatever, the one that has the different times which each park is open, you can hear the Dance of the Hours and the Nutcracker in the background. And I believe the Star of the Apprentice. So, a lot of, a lot also of Fantasmic, or Not Fantasmic, but um, Philhar Magic. The All Star, oh, Phil oh Magic, yeah, of course. Phil Magic, and yeah. All Star movies. All Star movies does have him, uh, Sorcerer Mickey at the pool. There's also a Fantasia carousel at Shanghai Disney. You climb aboard Pegasus Ooh, on the carousel. That's, that's, cool. that's pretty fun. That is cool. So th there's so many we couldn't list them all. They also have a lot of references lot. of that mouse that's in Sorcerer's Apprentice, just without the garb on, like without the hat and the. And the... I, don't I don't remember. remember. Mortimer, right? Isn't it Mortimer? Just the apprentice. He's everywhere. He's holding hands with Walt, I'm pretty sure, in front of the castle. It's weird. I wonder why they did that. I thought that was supposed to be Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Yeah, his ears fell off, I thought. Disney has had few ideas as original as Fantasia since its original release. Despite its massive failure upon its release, its cultural impact in the decades to come has been enormous. And such moments as the Sorcerer's Apprentice and Chernobog's rise from Bald Mountain are ingrained in Disney lore for all time. Truly, Creative Ventures at Z showcase Walt Disney's commitment to pushing boundaries like never before. Sandpiper Vacations is an amazing booking agency. They can book your dream Disney vacation in Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruises, and Disney Resorts. They also do non-Disney trips like trips to Universal, Sandals, all-exclusive resorts, Royal Caribbean, Virgin Voyages, Carnival, and even more. The most amazing part is, it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just head over to sandpipervacations.com and click and get a quote. That's right, at Sandpiper Vacations, we're here not just to book your vacation, but to give you some expert tips and advice to make your trip extra special, to create those magical memories for you, your family, your friends, or whoever you want to take on that vacation. Take a look at at Sandpiper Vacations on Instagram and TikTok, and visit our Facebook page, Sandpiper Vacations. That's Sandpiper Vacations, a concierge-style travel agency with endless capabilities. RJ here. If you enjoy the deep dives into Disney history that you hear here on Diz His, the Disney history podcast, then you can go ahead and check out my show, Cases of Continuity, streaming on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I take an entire season to deep dive into some of the most iconic film, television, and book series of all time episode by episode, piece by piece, to look at the history behind each of those individual installments and the stories inside those and how those stories connect to the rest of the franchises. My first season on the James Bond films is currently streaming and season two is going to be starting up in 2024. I hope to see you there at Cases of Continuity. find yourself missing Disney? Do you hum Disney songs even though no Disney music is playing? Do you wish you had more Disney friends you could talk to? Then you may be suffering from low D, also known as lack of Disney. 
Over 5 billion people are self-diagnosed every year with low D, but now there's hope with the Diz His Patreon, better known as the Goof Troop. As seen in better homes and gardens, you can find Diz His Patreon through the link tree located in the episode description. Some people who have joined the Disney's Patreon have seen increased levels of Disney knowledge, increased their numbers of Disney friends, felt more laughter, played more Disney game nights, even found true love. Results may vary. Disney's Patreon is not intended to treat cure or prevent any disease. Results may vary based on Patreon's fear level. You if you're allergic to Disney's or any of components, stop using immediately and contact Universal Studios. Diz His, a Disney history podcast. <laughs> Check us out streaming on award-winning Disney streaming site, Sorcerer Radio, on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, or catch us again at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Sorcerer Radio is an amazing 24-7 Disney radio. Just visit srsounds.com or download the Sorcerer Radio app. This week in Disney, Chris, what did you do this week in the world of Disney? Um, I bought my daughter another Disney outfit. I got her a cool uh, Winnie the Pooh uh five piece set from walmart i don't know if you guys have been to walmart uh shopping for kids whoever's listening to this but they have some really really good disney stuff uh ryan have you uh browsed their disney section well yeah 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 all the time yeah they have really yeah. good disney stuff they just came out with this new uh 101 dalmatians like sweater and it's i i, I trying to resist from buying that uh one of my favorite things i did this week i watched half of a short i, I got busy and i need to rewatch it but it's called um self and it just came out on disney plus oh the pixar short yeah i didn't watch the whole thing but it was good from what i saw so far i'm really excited to finish that up i'm going to take off my virtual background so i can show you the cards that i got in the mail for all my mandalorian fans but uh more specifically for all my lizzo and jack black fans uh tops does this thing where they have the living set and they started at one and now they're all the way up into 484 and 483 so every week to 10 days i forget what it is they come out with two cards and if you don't get them during that week you don't get them so uh they have captain bombarder and the duchess cards they just came to my door this week and it's oh, jack yeah. black and lizzo's characters from the mandalorian and they're modeled after old uh star wars cards from 1977 so i was really excited to add these to my collection because uh i i was one of the i think few people that really enjoyed that episode i thought that lizzo and jack black both did a really good job and i love the lizzo card how she's holding a little grogu there with her but uh really really fun episode in my opinion was really excited to add those cards to my collection the way they packed is the package them was was insane they came in this, this huge case what? for two cards <laughs> and they came in this like really big package like it was it wasn't cheap for for two cards i think it was like 10 or 15 dollars it was like not cheap but still i was like at least they're at least my money's going somewhere towards this this packaging. Um, but yeah, so that was that was really to the extent I, I did in Disney. I wanted to watch the Marvels because that came out on Disney Plus uh, on Friday. But uh, my my wife is pretty sick right now, so we have not been together uh, lately, hanging out much together lately. We've been kind of staying separate from each other. Uh, so it's a movie we want to watch together. So I got to wait until she's not contagious anymore to uh, to watch that. But yeah, excited to watch that at home and not have to pay for it. Ryan, how about you? What did you do this week in the world of Disney? Uh, I didn't do a whole lot. I watched uh, Fantasia. I uh, just came. Nice choice. We should do the history. Yeah, of that we should. It was, it was a pretty interesting movie. Uh, I just oh. came from my tattoo artist uh, place right before I came on here, and I'm planning out my next Disney tattoo. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I saw I saw the little saran wrap on you. Yeah, yeah like, I had a little touch-up on Scar. I had to do a little touch-up wow. on On a Scar, what happened? 
Uh, he, you know, he, he's just, he had a scar. Yeah. So is, is it going to be attached to scar your next tattoo? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know, probably right below him. Of what? Can we uh, get a I can't hint? tell you that. Uh, can we get a hint? Uh, is it the same movie? No, it's not the same wow, movie. Okay. Oh, okay. is it a goofy movie? It's not a goofy movie. <laughs> it will be another, okay. it will be Good. another, uh, villain, even though scar is not a villain, but it will be, oh, a oh, I, know, I know who it is. I bet you do. Can I guess? Go ahead. Dr. Facilier. No. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I said Hades. He's, uh, he's, on, uh, he's on the list, though. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you're a big Facilier guy. Yeah, I am. I love him. But what about you, RJ? What'd you do? I am continuing my journey through Star Wars. So since the last time I've been on the show, I finished up season six of Clone Wars. Whoa, I'm you're flying. God so I am. I have one episode left in season one of Rebels, and I am very much into it, very much into the world of Star Wars now, and I really want to watch more so oh awesome it. i also watched the trailer for deadpool and wolverine oh yes and so if you want that. to hear me discuss that more with the crew from nerd archive hosted by lewis who you would have heard last week i will be on their episode this week discussing the deadpool and wolverine trailer so you can go ahead and check that out other than that i believe that is all i did in the world of disney this week a lot of uh media consumption this week deadpool 3 trailer uh, most viewed movie trailer in the first 24 hours of all time. It was at wow. 265 wow. million views. Spider-Man No Way Home then. Yeah, also smart of them to uh, – I was kind of sad when the, the Super Bowl started and the um, and the trailer comes on and it said to watch the full trailer, go to the uh, – go online. But I understand because it's a red band trailer, so – you can't show that on TV, and I'm glad. It was uh, it was really good. Really, really excited for it. I am also extremely excited. Next week on Diz His, Alex and Chris are going to be joined by Mel from the Happiest Podcast on Earth to discuss the history of the Disney Channel original movie, Luck of the Irish. Fun fact, that movie was originally aired on Disney Channel. Really excited to have Mel on because I love the Happiest Podcast on Earth. Yeah, her husband really too. Podcast. I thought so too, yeah. yeah. John? John, yep. John, yeah. John will be on as well. Um, Looking forward to hearing that episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. A lot of cool episodes in the work. And that's the His on Fantasia. I'm Deems Taylor. I'm Broom. I'm Turnabout. Thanks for listening and have a magical life. <laughs>